welcome to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. I'm June Grosso. Every day we bring you insight and analysis into the most important legal news of the day. You can find more episodes of the Bloomberg Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com podcasts. Ken Starr is a former federal judge and U.S. Solicitor General, but he's best known as the independent counsel whose Starr report led to the impeachment of President Bill Clinton in 1998. He joins me now to talk about his new book, Contempt, a memoir of the Clinton investigation. Thanks for being here, Judge Starr. Oh, it's great to be with you, June. Thank you. You write that you regret taking on the Lewinsky <laughs> phase of the investigation. When you look back, are there things you would have done differently or might you have refused the assignment? It would have been very hard to refuse the assignment. Um, and my regret, as I continue in, in the book to say, uh, is that I wish I would already been at Pepperdine University as the dean of the law school <laughs> when the Lewinsky matter came in the door. My real regret is that uh, Janet Reno, the then attorney general, had no one else to look to. Uh, that is sort of the ready reserve. Call up the militia. Let's, app- let's appoint June as, as the All independent right. counsel. And so we were literally across the street from the Justice Department. We had an ongoing operation. Uh, we thought we were coming toward the conclusion of our work, both in Little Rock and Washington, D.C. But the timing was such and the relationship was such that uh, we'd been given add-ons to the investigation, such as the travel office firings uh, implicating uh, Hillary Clinton. Uh, The FBI files matter. Both Bill and Hillary were completely uh, innocent of any wrongdoing in that respect. It was a bureaucratic snafu. But anyway, we had had add-ons along the way. So our investigation was broadened, and so this was just more of the same. But it was obviously took on a magnitude that no one, I certainly didn't expect. I see similarities between your investigation and Bob Mueller's. Do you? There are a lot of echoes, June. There sure are. Uh, obviously, the demonization of the prosecutor. The prosecutor is out on a witch hunt. Bill Clinton never used those words, but his surrogates did. Uh, and let's do everything that we can to stand in the way. Now, let me say this. It's my understanding that month after month after month, uh, President Trump, through his then lawyers, cooperated with the investigation. I was stunned to hear that the counsel of the president, Don McGahn, uh, spent 30 hours plus in interviews with the special counsel, with Bob Mueller and and his team. Uh, We did not have that kind of cooperation during the Clinton investigation. Well, you subpoenaed President Clinton, and then worked out an agreement. So do you believe that presidents are subject to subpoenas? I do. Uh, That may not be the view of the Justice Department, and this is not a political partisan view. It's the view of the Justice Department over the last many, many years, including during the Clinton administration, that the President of the United States is not subject uh, to uh, indictment uh, and that the lesser would include its subpoena. Uh, But I have a different view, uh, and that is no one is above the law, which I think is one of the principles that, as I describe in the book, emerged out of our investigation. And along the way, the Supreme Court of the United States, in its unanimous decision rebuffing President Clinton's claim for immunity from a civil lawsuit, a sexual harassment lawsuit, uh, the, the Supreme Court spoke in very broad terms. We respect the president and the presidency, but above all, no one is above the law and has to respond to the law. 
So then do you disagree with uh, Judge Kavanaugh, who was up for a Supreme Court nomination, worked for you famously on the Clinton investigation. Do you disagree with his current views about presidential power? I don't disagree with his basic proposition in that 2009 Minnesota Law Review article, June, where he said these issues of civil litigation, even a criminal investigation, are very distracting to the president. Uh, and we live in a dangerous time. He lived through 9-11, uh, serving in the Bush 43 administration. And so what that Law Review article does is that Congress needs to take a look at this. He did not say, he did not suggest that the Clinton v. Jones case reestablishing no one is above the law and even the president is subject to legal process was wrongly decided. He said, Congress, you should take a look at this. So do you think President Trump should agree to speak to Mueller? There are two perspectives, June. The criminal defense lawyer would say, no way, right? <laughs> because of fears. And they all do. He said she, so you don't cooperate. Uh, but the other perspective, and I take more of the constitutional perspective, is that he is the president of the United States. And Bob Mueller is a duly constituted officer, specially appointed, to conduct an investigation. So it's all bona fide. So <laughs> I think from a presidential perspective, there is an obligation. There has been much talk about impeachment, and you lived through that on the other side of, of the impeachment spectrum. What does it do to the country? Do you, you see it in a different light? Uh, oh, I do. And it was one of the problems, June, with the special counsel statute at the time, which just built in this force toward impeachment by its terms. The law required our office to turn over information to the House of Representatives that might involve impeachment. That's gone, and I think that's good, because one of the takeaways, as I describe in, in, in the book, is uh, impeachment is just hell. Uh, and the founding generation wisely decided that it should be only where, not just a majority of House of Representatives, but much more importantly, at the trial in the Senate, the jury, so to speak, has to be super majority in favor of removal. A two-thirds, that's almost impossible to achieve where there are significant arguments on the other side, as there certainly were uh, in the Clinton, Clinton uh, investigation. And I think what the system did fail us in this sense, while we want stability and so forth, and yet there was the sense the president should suffer something. And Senator Dianne Feinstein, who served then as now, uh, urged very thoughtfully a resolution of censure, which had there been more of a conversation, more reflection on it, I think that might have been the middle ground to attract folks of both parties. You came today, and today was the day that uh, after a long time and one trial, we saw that Paul Manafort pleaded guilty, and he will cooperate. As a former independent counsel, where do you see this? It's what prosecutors want. Uh, the, the, the thought may be, oh no, they're all Perry Masons, or the prosecutor and Perry Mason, I should say, they want to go to trial, no. And I feel Bob Mueller is very eager to bring this to an orderly conclusion, and how do you most quickly do that. You get cooperation from knowledgeable witnesses. So I think this is a breakthrough moment. We'll see what Paul Manafort has to say. We won't know for a while, but th this is a major accomplishment uh, for the Bob Mueller team. 
Thanks so much for being here, Judge Starr. The name of the book is Contempt, a memoir of the Clinton investigation. Good luck with the President Trump's former campaign chairman, Paul Manafort, has agreed to plead guilty to charges brought by special counsel Robert Mueller. As part of that deal, he will be cooperating with the prosecutors. Joining me is Brad Moss, a partner at Mark Zaid. Brad, how much does this change the narrative of the Mueller investigation? How big a victory is it for them? Well, this is a major shift and a major point in the Mueller probe. This is arguably what he was aiming for from the beginning. He's always been the belief that he was only going after Manafort in terms of his tax fraud and bank fraud and money laundering issues because he truly wanted to get a cooperation agreement out of him and find out what, if anything, he knows about possible collusion. Uh, Paul Manafort, of course, was the campaign chairman at one point. He was one of maybe three people uh, in the entirety of the Trump universe who could have possibly been involved in any collusion. And so his uh, unvarnished cooperation and the details he could provide was always critical to the Mueller investigation. So, Brad, is it unvarnished? Does he have to answer each and every question that prosecutors put to him? Or could there possibly be some kind of arrangement where he wouldn't answer questions about certain areas? It depends on the nature of the cooperation agreement. We haven't seen the actual document yet. It would be unlikely unless the Mueller team had already didn't need it from the need information on certain aspects that they would narrow it like that. It's almost certain that the cooperation will be with respect to activities that went on at the Podesta lobbying firm. So this might not have to do with Donald Trump or on one at least one aspect it could deal with Tony Podesta and others. There was a lot in the superseding indictment about that issue. But it's almost certain that a lot of this information, that a large scope of the uh, nature of the cooperation agreement will be about what Paul Manafort saw in the campaign and what, if anything, he knows about criminal coordination between the campaign and Russian nationals. Sarah Sanders, the White House press secretary, has said this had absolutely nothing to do with the president or his victorious 2016 presidential campaign. It is totally unrelated. Now, could that also be true? Absolutely. It could certainly be true. We can't rule that out. You know, no, no one has been charged with actual criminal coordination or collusion yet. It's all, you know, we have to assume until facts come, out, come to light that there hasn't been, you know, innocence until proven guilty. But every time one of these individuals flips, every time one of these individuals, such as Gates and Manafort, Flynn, flip and provide information to the government, Mueller has a target knows what he's going after in terms of possible collusion. I don't see him making this very generous deal with Paul Manafort unless Mr. Manafort was able to proffer something very significant with respect to the overarching collusion probe. So let's talk about the deal. According to Politico, they're agreeing to a 10-year cap. How good a deal is that for Manafort? Would he have fared better if he had made the deal before he was convicted in Virginia? Well, that's, of course, you know, the $64,000 question for him, and Lord knows how much he already spent in legal fees just for that first trial. If he had struck this kind of deal before the original trial out in Virginia, he could have possibly gotten an even better sweetheart deal, maybe gotten fewer years instead of 10 years. It may have been three to five, something like that, but we'll never know now. He fought them out there in Virginia. He lost. He was prepping to fight D.C. He made this deal. He's going to get 10 years. It's still better than what he would have gotten if he had gone to trial and lost in D.C. and had two different sentences, one in Virginia, one in D.C. He could have easily faced 20 or more years. This is not a bad deal. He's still forfeiting a lot of assets. 
but it's probably the best he could truly negotiate at this point. Less than a minute here. I just want your reaction. The prosecutor said in court the government would not decide to drop some charges against Manafort until his successful cooperation or sentencing is complete. Does that mean they're holding that over him? Yes, that's very standard. They're saying we're not doing anything else and we're not dropping these parts until your information bears fruit that we can corroborate it with other people, other, other information and other individuals' testimony and use it in other cases. All right. Thanks so much, Brad. That's Brad. Moss, a partner at Mark Zaid, and I should mention that if you get a 10-year sentence in federal cases, that means you're going to be spending 85% of it. There is no time off for good behavior. It's an 85%. So he'll be spending at least eight and a half years in prison if that 10-year cap holds true. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcast. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.